Welcome to today's episode of Veteran Voice. In this podcast, we help service members and veterans tackle their transitional challenges with one topic and one episode at a time. My name is Gary. And I'm Jose. We are the co-hosts of Veterans Voice NYC. Joining us today is a special guest, a former Marine, a pro wrestler, comic book hero, a producer, costume guru, and the only Marine to call me out for being five minutes early. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Eric the Smoke. What's going on, brothers? How y'all doing today? Good, good. How's everything with you? I'm feeling outstanding today, and thank you both for having me on the show. All right. Nice to have you on. So, Gary, what is our topic for today? Well, our topic for today is all about zigzag transition. As we all know, transitioning from the military is not always a straight path. So let's take a moment to learn about this challenges. And with that, Eric, I know you call Jose out and that he's been bitching you behind your back the whole time. <laughs> you know, Jose, this is your chance to drew him on the first question that you have for him. So actually, that's a small pat on the back as we're all brothers in arms. The fact that I was early in the civilian world, but in the military aspect, I wasn't 15 minutes prior to the start time. So coming to uh, the office. Yeah, man. So the fact that he was like, oh, you know, you're late because you're not 15 minutes early. And it was very motivating to have an individual call me out on that. He was like, start pushing. So I got motivated just from hearing those words. So I was like, you know what? <laughs> not only am I going to do push-ups, I'm going to do push-ups, but I'm going to put my feet on top of the table to make it look uh, more strenuous and more harder. So I did that. And it's funny because as I knocked out my set of push-ups, in return, Eric got motivated. He was like, man, you know what? He was like, I'm going to start doing push-ups too. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good way. Yeah, it was. And at the time, it's even more funny because our supervisor, I remember she had pulled me in the office and it was so funny because she, I guess she caught a wind of it. Like she must have saw like a split second. And when she called me to the office, it was so funny because she was like, hey, I don't mind you and Eric doing push-ups, but if you guys want to do that, just come in earlier and you can knock them out. And in my mind, I was like, uh, that was like kind of the whole purpose is uh, to get here on time so we don't do push-ups. <laughs> and she's a civilian, I assume. Yeah, she's a civilian. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was funny because in that aspect, we knew what we were talking about. It's our lingual, but she didn't grab it. But it is what it is. So that's how we ended up clicking and, and just become stronger and stronger. So with wonderful. all being said, Eric, this first question goes out to you. Mm-hmm. So you're in the Marine Corps from 1989 to 1992, and you do Marine Security Guard, Embassy Duty. And we want to know your timeline. So walk us through in a timeline perspective from the moment of you started your career from 1989 to right now, today. All right. So after serving in 89, it was School of Infantry. From School of Infantry, I went into Security Forces School. Security Forces School for Vallejo. I went to AYAC, Alaska. I was out there for a year for Guard Nuclear Weapons for uh, Security Forces. It's shut down now, so I could talk about it because there was a time where we weren't oh, allowed yeah. to talk about this stuff during the Bush era. Yeah, during wartime, Desert Shield, Operation Desert Shield. At that time, we couldn't talk about it. And it was funny, guys. Just the other uh, just the other day, I was showing my wife, Associated Press, that showed a video of Adak, Alaska, one of the places to visit, nicest places to visit. And it was, it was one of the hardest years, I got to say, without getting too deep on this, on that subject, but it was one of my hardest years. We served during there with Fast Company, Navy SEALs. And, of course, we had exclusion areas and all that. And this is when Bush Sr. was in office. 
even though it was the hardest time for me during that time serving, people think, oh, well, you know, hey, you know, it was a challenge. It was, it was, I was going through a lot of stuff mentally, physically. I was challenged to my limits. Um, what kind of challenge? Can you talk more about that? Well, I was dealing with, that was the first time I was actually dealing with racism and, and serving. During that time when they came out with that Tom Cruise movie, what was it? Top Gun. A Few Good Men. A Few Good, Good Men. Men. Oh, okay. Yeah. During that time when they came out with that, and it was based around Diego Garcia. Yeah. It was the opposite way around. I was dealing with a situation similar mm. in Adak, Alaska. And wow. it was it was a deep situation, man. And uh, let's just say it was a trying situation. It really got to me to a point where if I had went a different path, I probably would have been serving time in Leavenworth. But let's just say, because again, mentally took a, a strain on me. To this day, it's carried over to where I'm dealing with now mentally. And as a Marine serving, it was a trying time. It was a trying time. It was uh, whew, physically, uh, mentally on me. It was, it was man, I, I'm going to tell you this much, gentlemen, as, as minorities, like, you know, in this day and age now, it wouldn't have happened in this day and, in this day and age. If it did, it would have gotten more, it would have gotten more exposure. It would have gotten yeah. exposed. But the way the Marine Corps was back then, Yes. Uh, they called it during that time. It was his own private Marine Corps. Back then, when you had the island that it was on in Adak, Alaska, it was his own private little Marine Corps. So things that happened on the island wasn't seen off island. Right. So it was his own private Marine Corps. So things that were happening, it would got away until NIS would step in and, and stuff like that. And when they stepped in, me being at 19, going on 20, I was stupid. I was trying to prove a point. I was trying to hold my own. My father, my both my brothers who were all Marines at the time wanted to step in and assist. And I wanted to prove a point as a man. I could hold my own and all. And instead of letting the powers that be step in and, and, and take, you know, take the proper channels and, and do it. I, being stupid that I was, trying to show how much I was a man, I wanted to prove to my, my father and my brothers that I can hold my own. It came back and bit me on the ass. Right, right. And in doing so, it bit me more than just on the ass. And in, and it made it worse during that year. I call it the year of hell. And so I learned a lot, but it took, but it was a price to pay mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. But then after that year, coming out of that, I went to Bravo 16 in North Carolina and serving there. Unfortunately, during that time and serving there, I went to, you know, infantry. Mm-hmm. I was heavy machine gunner. But during that time, unfortunately, my oldest brother had passed away. Sorry um, to hear that. And he, yeah, who was also a Marine. But during that time when he passed away, the doctors have found that my feet started spreading out, my bones. Oh, my goodness, yeah. I was a size 12 when I went to the Marine Corps when I started serving. They noticed that the bones of my feet started spreading out. And they called it platypus something. And... And I end up from a size 12, I was a size 13 triple E. Wow. Wow. And they were I like calling it, okay. they were showing me the bones of my feet were spreading like a hand. And so they gave me the option. They said, well, you can work behind the desk or you can get out with benefits. And by this time, it was almost three and a half years. And at that point here, my brother had just passed. They gave me the option of getting out with medical benefits. My brother was everything to me. My brother, he was my hero. It mentally had took a toll on me again. It, it was all these little factors. And I'm like, well, 
I was almost at the end of my, my time in the Marine Corps. My brother just passed. I just felt that it was my time to just get out. I couldn't deal with it. You mentioned something that very deeply harsh. Like, mm-hmm. of course, there's one aspect of being mm-hmm. a Marine Corps. And in the same time, emotion and mentally, your body taking a toll, your emotion taking a toll. And you, then, of course, you making a decision to separate. Did that hinder you during your transition? Like- at, at, at that time, I was going on, at that time, let's see. It was 1992, so I was going on 20. I was 22 at that time. And everything was hitting me at once, man. I didn't know what to do. And and here, my brother had passed. I, and as a matter of fact, I had just went to come back from to base when I went to go see him one last time. I didn't know it was going to be my last time to see him. And he was one of my major inspirations why I joined the Marine Corps, him and my other brother. You know, for most of my life growing up, idolized both my brothers because I wanted to be a Marine all my life. Most of my childhood, I, being a Marine to me was considered heroic. It was considered to me, it was the biggest accomplishment of my life. When I was on that parade deck, when they told me I, I, I passed through hell week, when I went through the crucible, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crucible. Exactly, man. Like, again, you have to understand becoming a Marine serving, during that time, man, being a Marine was like everything to me. Uh, being up there with my brothers. Definitely, there's a picture, yeah. and, and and Jose has seen the picture. There's a picture of me and my brothers, all three of us in dress blues. My mom like was so proud to have this picture of all three of us together. I dreamt about that day to see me and my brothers, all of us together in our dress blues. So to me, to be able to serve, during the time when all three of us are serving together. Yeah. So when my oldest brother passed, man, my world was crushed. And I mean, it was something. And it took a lot out of me. And between that and for the doctors to tell me, well, you can't do the things in the field. And that was another thing. I, I mean, I was a man of I was a man of action. I wanted to be in the field. And and the, for them to tell me you can't do that in the field now, you can't serve in the field. And at that time I was young. I wanted to be that guy in the field, like my other brother. He was serving in the field. And at that time, he was over in Kuwait. When I had finished, and, and a quick story, when I had finished Operation Desert Shield, both of us finished doing serving the Operation Desert Shield. I was heading back from Alaska. I was on a plane. I was heading back, right? I was in Chicago. Okay, this is, mind you, this is pre-9-11. Stewardess comes up. I'm in my I'm in my dress blues. Stewardess comes over to me and says, "Oh, we have another Marine on this flight. Would you like to sit with y'all? Both heading to Philadelphia. Would you like to sit with him? We're going to serve you guys champagne." I was like, "Yeah, hell yeah, right?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. As they bring this other Marine in, it ends up being my brother. Wow. Okay, and he's in his office. Gotcha. When I tell the stewardess, the stewardess, all the stewardess came out. They were taking pictures of us. Here I'm in my dress blues. My brother's in his office. Dude, that's wonderful. Okay, so when we came off the plane in Philadelphia, this is when they let families still, like, in the boarding. So we mm-hmm. came out. We had a major hero's welcome. So, again, right. you got to understand, it was surreal. It was a surreal moment. Now, mind you, this was me and my brother Gary. Mm-hmm. So it was a surreal moment. I think during that time, my brother, my other brother, was out in DC. Mm-hmm. He was he was doing logistics. So again, it was surreal. These these are surreal moments Man. for us. 
How do you handle the separation? The, 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 well, the separation for me at that time, I, I was like, okay. At that time, I was engaged. So I was like, okay. My fiance at that time, she was pregnant. So I'm going to be a dad. Despite the fact that my brother died, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a father. I'm going to be the best father I can be. I was always raised to, to, to believe in the idea of taking, being responsible. Marine Corps taught me, you know, to take charge no matter what you do, take charge. Like Marine Corps taught me, despite my little, my setbacks for certain things in the Marine Corps, Marine Corps taught me also certain things as far as taking charge. So I was like, okay, it's a challenge. I got to find a job. And then that time you're talking about the nineties, early nineties. So we didn't have that much. They didn't give us that much to work with. No. So at that time I was working security at clubs and all. In the meanwhile, I was trying to look at options. I was looking around for odd jobs. And mind you, I was working at a video store. I was working at clubs, doing security. So it was a very and, odd job here and there. Yeah. But I was pulling in. I was bringing in money. Okay. So I never okay. went out. I never went without a job. Mm -hmm. So I went to the VA. I was looking up about my benefits. So it was an older gentleman who was a veteran. Air Force. He was Air Force. Gentleman was a very cool gentleman. I was telling him I just came out of the Marine Corps, and he liked the fact that I was a Marine, carried myself well. And, of course, spit and polish. I was coming in there always looking presentable, wasn't looking ragged. I explained to him that I'm trying to look for a job. I'm about to become a father. So he recommended me. He said they have a part-time part -time job. He's like uh, in the mailroom for the VA. He didn't mention the fact that it was part-time, but it was a dead-end position, but he didn't mention that. At the time, he just said, hey, it's a part-time temp job. So I worked my way up from being a part-time temp to full-time, okay? For, so you climbed the ladder. Right. So, But the problem was that it was a dead-end position with no advancement. So I ended up working with seven other veterans, all different branches. So here is me and seven other veterans, all of us working together in services support mailroom, okay? I worked in the VA for like 12 years. So from 92, 93, all the way to 2005. Right. 2005 hit, I had decided that I needed a change. And at that time, I was involved with someone else. My fiance and I were no longer together. My daughter, by that time, she was about to start uh, finishing up like halfway her elementary school. I needed a change because I was not happy doing a dead-end job. And at that time, I got engaged to my second fiance, and she joined the Navy. I got a smart but one she, right But she, she moved out to Green Bay, Wisconsin. Okay, so I man. caught myself being in love and stupid. I decided to look into to moving I'm, out I'm, there. I'm glad that you highlight that because a lot of us coming up as young men where we're in our early, mid, and late 20s, mm -hmm. we think we know it all, but we, we don't. don't. We, we don't. don't. We don't. <laughs> but hey, look, if we didn't do certain things to try to see, we wouldn't have learned from the experience. So I don't regret exactly. certain things because exactly. I wouldn't be where I'm at if I didn't try to experience. But there's a lesson behind it. And I'm going to exactly. tell you what happened. Yep. I took on the idea of saying, okay, I'm going to move out to Green Bay. But before I quit the job, Georgia Pacific had a security position. It was supposed to be a major security position. Georgia Pacific was a paper company. So when I looked into it, it was like good pay, great pay. Position was a great position, right? I was like, 
and I met all the requirements. I was top tier. Okay. They were like, oh, we we would love to have the pay was great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So I met all the requirements. Quit the job. They threw me a big thing. After 12 years of working for the VA, I left thinking that, yeah, this is going to be the be all to end all. Get down to Green Bay, took on the job. Man, the job was, the pay was less than what they said. The money that I made, I took a $10,000 loss, basically, <laughs> compared to what the VA paid me. It was basically a civilian job versus what I was getting paid in the government. And so I had to put demands on Georgia Pacific. They met certain demands that I requested because I'm like, yeah, you guys are supposed to promise me. And they lived up to those demands, the, even though the pay wasn't as good as they promised me. So I ended up staying out there for like almost a year. I wasn't happy doing what I wanted to do, even though my fiance and I, we were cool, but I wasn't happy. She was doing what she wanted to do in the Navy. Her, her base was right on the corner from where we lived. We lived right around the corner from the stadium. The people were great out there. It was peaceful. The people who I worked with were great. It was weird because the people who I worked with, they didn't have a life outside of Green Bay. Most of them never experienced anything. Mind you, I've done wrestling. I was doing all this other stuff. So they never experienced any of this. I was the only one at my job that people would come on their day off to come and see me. People would come come by on their day off just to say, hey, how you doing? How's it going? And talk with me while I'm just sitting back monitoring trucks. I'm picking up weight because all I'm doing is sitting there doing nothing. I wasn't happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I missed my daughter because my daughter and I had an understanding that Hey, I was going to move out here, but she was, she came out to see me and all. I wasn't happy. I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. And there was a lot of factors and I just wasn't happy. So I made a decision that I was going to move back to Philadelphia. And my fiance at that time, she understood. And I said, Hey, we'll still get married, but we'll just have to put it on hold. When I moved back to Philly, not only was I able to move back, but my landlord who I lived in his townhouse across the street from the VA he allowed me to move back into my old townhouse. That's how good I had a, a good relationship with my landlord. He never rented out my townhouse to anyone else since I moved. That's oh, wow. how good my relationship wow. was because yeah. I was always, my rent was always on time and everything else. So when I moved back to Philadelphia, I tried to get back in the VA. Now this is where it gets interesting. Before you get interesting, I just want to make a couple of comments. Yeah. Um, you progressed so much from after separating from the service to where you are right now. Right. And you mentioned one thing that the Marine Corps taught you how to be responsible for your situations. Right. And I want to highlight that there are many of us, to be fair, including myself, when I first got out, that I blame the situation where I am not at. I blame the situation that something could have done for me. Uh, things could be turned out better for me to benefit me. And a lot of time, now, as becoming older, you say, it's not about what other people really can do for you or what situations can benefit you. It's mainly about how we take advantage or at least hold ourselves more accountable right. to correct the situation and be in the place that we want to be. And a lot of us, when we separate, we don't have that mindset. We just think that things should be handed to us. But you highlight the, the fact that going through many, many challenges, you st were still able to kind of persist and determine and power through to get you where you want to be. And I'm sorry I cut you off, but I just want to make a comment right there. Oh, uh, no, no, no. It's fine. But it gets even crazier. Oh, this is where 
perseverance takes place. This is where it gets very interesting. So as I get back to Philadelphia, because I try to get back into the VA, and of course, at that time I was a GS3, and I was told by certain channels within the VA, oh, they're never going to let you back in because they don't hire as a GS3 level. They don't, they don't hire. So I'm contacting certain people who I'm connected with through the VA. And even as far as going through DC, connecting to my people in DC and HR departments and all, I've been told that, oh, you'll never get a chance to get back hired in, in, in mm -hmm. the government because they mm -hmm. don't hire GS3. There's no way they'll hire you. And I mean, look, I went as far as even working for the IRS for six months because I was trying to desperately get back in working in wow. the government. Did you ever have any plan when you separated? Well, when I, no, because there was no, there was no plan. It was just, I mean, at one point I wanted to become a cop and I was like, no, nah, I don't want to become a cop. When well, I had my I'm daughter. I'm glad that you was, highlight that because that's like 90% plus of the veteran population. Well, you know what? At one point I even uh, joined, I almost joined the Secret Service. But at that time when I had my daughter, I, I applied, I met the requirements, but one of the requirements was I had to move out to DC and this is during the Clinton era. And, but the problem was that one of the requirements was I had to move out to DC. Mm -hmm. And at that time, my daughter was just maybe going on three and I was okay. like, no, I can't be away from my daughter. Mm. At that time I was very, very like, I don't want to be away from my daughter. Yeah. I didn't want to be away from my daughter. But I did, I did meet the requirements. Um, this is when I was still maybe year four, year five working for the VA. Right. And so mm -hmm. I was like, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to, nah. As much as I, at that time, I was kind of resentful of working for the VA because I wasn't going nowhere. I was staying in one place. But I mean, and one thing I did forget to mention that I did try to vote rehab going to school. I did to go through that program for a while, but, and I and did all right. But the thing was, I wasn't happy going back to school on Vogue Rehab. I was taking remedial courses, which was fine. I did good. I was going to community college through the Vogue Rehab program, but I just wasn't happy. It wasn't me. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. me. I'm more or less, I love the entertainment business. I love acting. I was acting and modeling before I joined the Marine Corps. It was more of my thing. It, it kind of put me at ease. when. Wait, when I was, you were doing all those things during your 12 years gig in the, in the VA or... Well, yeah, I was doing I was doing theater and everything when I was uh, working the VA. I was I was more or less pro wrestling. Did you transition? It's like you just annotated a side note. Yeah, I was a wrestler, and you stopped talking about it. I know, wrestling. Well, what that what happened was because I and this is funny. Before I get back into what happened when I got back to Philadelphia, right? Yeah. During mm -hmm. the time when I came out the Marine Corps, this is what happened when I was doing security and working in clubs. It kind of segued into. I was bodyguarding wrestlers. I was bodyguarding entertainers, rappers. This is during the early 90s. So I was working clubs, working music, doing music videos as security, bodyguarding. I worked for the Philadelphia Eagles at one point, doing security at the vet stadiums, but I was working in the locker rooms, wearing the you know suits and all that stuff. And what happened was I ended up doing music videos, right? Being in some of those music videos. One of the videos I was in was Let Me Clear My Throat. And I end up meeting a pro wrestler by the name of New Jack. Unfortunately, New Jack just passed away this year from ECW. Mm, okay. And what happened was New Jack, New Jack and I developed a friendship. When I worked at the VA back in the day, New Jack and I would hang out 
and New Jack would crash at my house because I lived right down the street from the VA. So New Jack would ha- crash at my house. The cool thing was I never told anyone that New Jack would stay at my house. And because of that, he always appreciated that. Gotcha. And New- this is when New Jack was at the height of his career. By this time, I started training as a pro wrestler through New Jack and through some other wrestlers. When I was training under him, I was bodyguarding him. So along the way, when I was bodyguarding him, he would just show me a couple of things and a couple of people we knew, He they were training me. By that time, The Rock was just starting out. He was just starting out. And people were saying, you know, you look like Rocky Maivia. Who? And I was like, I look like him. He looks like me because I'm technically older than him. And I, mind you, prior to that, I was modeling years prior before I joined Marine Corps. So it was all these little things. And before you know it, I ended up becoming a wrestler. I wasn't doing a lot in the ring, but I was doing just enough to get me by where I was getting noticed. And the next thing you know, it was opening more doors for me. Because I was looking like The Rock, it, it, it segued and opened more doors for me. I was doing shows where I ended up being on the Jenny Jones show because I looked like The Rock. My mannerisms, how I talked how I looked and everything. And then it opened other doors for me where I was doing other stuff. And then how a segued before you know it, my pro wrestling career skyrocketed and it kind of really segued into some other stuff. I was always an avid comic book fan before I joined Marine Corps. I was in the superheroes and all, but I was always in the costuming. I was in the costuming before I joined the Marine Corps. I was dressing up, dressing up as superheroes and all that. And so when I was going to comic cons and doing the comic con thing, that opened up doors for me with other stuff. So every little thing that I did was segue into other stuff. And it was, this was stuff I loved doing. So, again, the creativity side of me was always reinventing myself. Yes. Reinventing myself to have fun. And not allowing as much as the job, much as the VA stressed me and other things stressed me, I had something to relieve myself from that stress. To not think about the things that stressed me out. And it was therapeutic. Pretty much therapeutic. Good that you mentioned that because you said GS3 as that end job. You stuck there for 12 years. Now, one have to mention, like, who, who is paying you off on the side to make you stay that long? But that makes so much sense now because you have other outlet right, to right. make yourself keep going forward. Yeah, because I'm telling you right now, between my daughter at that time and what I did as far as the entertainment side, if I didn't have those things... Oh, I, I think I would have been going nuts. And it, what people don't, what people seem to don't realize is that a lot of people, and I t- I've talked about this in prior interviews. When you have a nine to five, a lot of people just have a nine to five. Yeah, that's all they live for is a nine to mm-hmm. five, taking care of the family. They have nothing to live for. Me, I did beyond living a nine to five. I was like Superman and Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Clark okay. Kent during the daytime would go to work and. Lived that nine to five. Superman mm-hmm. would leave that job and live his lifelong dream and doing everything that Clark Kent can't do. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing just that. And so all my stress, all my post-traumatic stress, all that shit, excuse my language, but all it. that crap that I have to go through on a daily, when I would put on a superhero suit, when I would get in the ring, when I would go to an uh, event, when I would do an acting job, when I would do a theater job, when I would model, when I would do anything but what I would do on a daily, that took my mind and everything away from the everyday hustle and bustle of what I had to deal with or remind me of shit I would have to go through in the past. 
Yes, it was very therapeutic. But the problem was I was getting older. And certain things I, that... I love the I fact would, that you highlight that because uh, mm-hmm. a lot of us, we get stuck in this mindset. And it's exactly like you said, we have to do a nine to five. We have to pay the bills. Right. And then it's it's immediately like five o'clock. Oh my God, thank God I could go home, put my right. pack down, relax. Right. But the real people who make it in life, the ones that are successful are the ones that get down and dirty and get back on the grind at five o'clock. Okay, now I'm going to go in pursuit of my dreams, my goal, my passion, and I'm going to do as much of that as I can because that's what makes me happy. And normally everybody that goes and pursues that, those are the most successful and the most happiest people because with your story as well as you transitioning in my career fields as I've progressed and in different avenues, anytime and every time I was in a veteran community, I never considered it work. I remember one time being a college assistant, assisting a bunch of veterans. And I think at the time I was making like 11 bucks an hour. Mind you, this is maybe like five, six years ago. I already have a bachelor's degree and this is a part-time job. I'm getting paid $11,000 an hour, but I'm probably the only one walking into that job field, like so enthusiastic, so happy because I have the, the opportunity to help a veteran every single day. Right. And it didn't matter where they needed help. Hey, I'm having problems in the VA. I don't know how to apply for these benefits. If I had to walk them through the, the hoops and show them, hey, this is what you do on the computer. A call such and such. And even with my counter partners and even with Gary, if there's something I didn't know, computer literature or anything, IT guru stuff, I'd hit him up. I ask him and it's it's vice versa. There's, there's things he would ask me if you know such and such. And we network so much. And it's ultimately how we got to where we're at right now. We just love helping veterans because not only were we successful at it, it just makes a bigger difference and you just feel more rewarding. And we weren't really seeking uh, compensation for it. We just wanted to make that difference and let our brothers and sisters know, hey, I'm here for you just as well as you were here for me. Right. Yeah. And Eric, I want to ask you this. During this thing, again, the 12 year in the VA, the hardest challenges, what, what we're hearing is that it was your nine to five at the VA. Yeah. Correct. Now, how do you find time to pursue your outside gig like you mentioned your motivation but how do you f- have time to for that because you have a daughter you have a family right well yeah, just being you- my daughter so when i wasn't with her when i wasn't with her mm. or i would have my parents my parents were a big help to me because it was just me and my daughter i mean i would have to find blocks it was a challenge people think it's easy and it, and it wasn't easy people think that i had it made and it really didn't. At that time, I couldn't identify what was going on with me mentally. I was just going through the motions. I didn't identify what was going on with me until much, much, much later, years later, until I got, you know, until I saw someone and sought help. But during the time I was going through a lot, I was just going through the motions and trying to navigate, to figure out what needed to be done. I was just trying, and I didn't depend on alcohol or mm-hmm. drugs or anything like that. And thank God. I think the strength of my family, my mom and dad, the strength of me not depending on or codependent on drugs or drinking, that was a major thing for me. I didn't need that to cope with my ups and downs. I mean, I would go through my depression and everything else, and I just tried to just navigate as best as I could. It wasn't easy for me. Other veterans had it worse, but for me, it was a challenge. It was a challenge, and I just tried to find 
things to keep me busy. And that's the thing. I had to find things to keep me busy mentally. Because again, I just know that if I didn't, and if I stopped, I don't know where I would have been. And mind you, we didn't have internet back then. No, not we as much. Have, we didn't have internet. We didn't have the luxuries that we have now. So again, I had to be creative. I had to be creative. And so I was trying to date as many women as I could because I was single at that time. So I was like keeping myself <laughs> as busy as I could. So during that time, it was a necessity. And I was young. Yeah. So I was it was a necessity to not afford to be staying stagnant. Yeah. I had good parents. I had parents that knew that I was taking care of my daughter. I was being responsible. Yeah. I had a great, I had great parents. There were times, and, I, and luckily my job was right down the street from where I lived. So, of course, the VA was in walking distance from my house, from where I because I was on my own. I was like, you know, I broke my neck to make sure I had my own place. When I joined the Marine Corps, and I had the age of 18, 19 years old, when I left for the Marine Corps, I never moved back in with my parents. Never. Never depended on my parents. I was very independent like that. My parents helped me. Don't get me wrong. I, when I needed help from my parents, I turned to my parents. I never was ashamed to ask for help. But I also made a point never to ask, can I move in or can I, you know, live under the basement? Nope. Nope. I'm too independent like that. Okay. So now bring us back to when you are working for IRS for the six months, you are trying to get back into the VA. Bring us back to that point. Okay. So getting back to that point. When I moved back to Philadelphia after coming back from Green Bay, Wisconsin, it was a different time. I was working at the uh, IRS for a little spell of a time. Six months, they had to let me go because it was only a temp job. Okay. Again, I was working. I was living back at my old place where I, you know, where I once lived. But again, I wasn't, I didn't have that much money. My landlord was cool until he allowed me to kind of live there rent free until I got back on my feet. I was hitting the pavement hard, even though I was giving them whatever I could give them, but I was hitting that pavement hard. But I was going through a moment of depression and I was picking up weight. I was starting to pick up weight. My brother, who at the time was still serving, he came over to my house one day and he was leaving back for Kuwait for the sixth time. This is during the time when everything was, tensions were high overseas. So he came over, he had a long talk with me. And, I, and my brother and I were always close, but I mean, this is after, mind you, this years after my brother died. And I never seen my brother speaking very sincere. Sincere. Yeah. yeah, very sincere. And the one thing he said, look, you're a Marine. He was like, I expect big, you know, better of you. You can't be in this kind of state. My place was a wreck. He's like, I expect more from you, you know. And I've never seen him this passionate about. He expects more from me. And when that, that shook me because I've never seen my brother like that before. So when after he had that talk with me, I had to get my shit together. So I made a point that day. I was hitting the pavement hard. So there was a place called Career Links. I don't know if they're still around anymore, uh, but it was a place called Career Links. And I went to Career Links for over a month. The Career Links Center I went to, they had a veteran specialist for under Career Links. So the veteran specialist there, I went to go see the career-link specialist that helped veterans. This gentleman who was a veteran specialist, he and I talked and he gave me some options. One of the options he looked into was 
for USCIS, Homeland Security. Okay. And it was a GS5 position. And he helped me put together an updated resume for usajobs.gov. And he was like, there's a GS5 position. I was a GS3. So I was like, well, they're not going to probably take it. He said, look, what's the worst they're going to tell you? That you're not going to get it? I was like, he said, put in for it anyway. You got nothing to lose. I was like, you know what? You got a good point. This is, Again, he was a former veteran himself. So I put in for the position. They wanted to talk with me. So, of course, went down to USAIS, put on my best suit, went in there. First question that was asked to me, <laughs> who did you not like on your job <laughs> at the VA? I was like, huh? So I was dead honest with them. And one of the things that said was, if you hire me, you're going to get 3,000% all times. And if a person doesn't like me, I don't, I'm going to end up having you like me because we're going to get the work done. It's about getting the mission done. And that's what it's all about. And yep. I told them the honest truth. Well, when it was all said and done, I was told many years later that this person was hesitant about hiring me, but the other two people that were there were saying that because I had integrity and because of the fact that I was death honest is the reason why they end up hiring me. Here I am now working there since 2005. And we are, what, in 2021? So it's like, what, over 11 years? I, I I lost count. Yeah. And I got hired as a GS5, from a GS3 to a GS5. So there it goes to tell you. And I had no desire of wanting to move up or anything. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I just now want to retire. But <laughs> you are gonna... still pursuing your psychic, right? What you're doing. Like... Oh, I'm more than pursuing it. I'm like, I'm right now... What I do outside of uh, my job, I'm now in mm-hmm. doing films and all. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually now doing film, TV. I'm also a comic book character for DC Comics. Oh, yeah, I've, I've excelled in that. I was able to also identify um, certain issues that I have on a mental side and being able to recognize certain, certain um, mental issues I had, getting treatment. I've been in treatment now for the last six years, recognizing my post-traumatic stress. I've been in treatment for the last six years and everything else and uh, some other issues I had and I'm still getting treated on, but I'm able to recognize where I'm getting treated on and everything. And I'm now currently married. I've been married now for almost 10 years. Congratulations. And happily married. And my wife, 103,000% supports me. My daughter, who's now in her almost in her 30s, I'm a grandfather now and everything else. So yeah, my life has been outstanding. My brother, who is now retired, and everything he just retired two years ago, and everything else. And again, I'm okay. very. Let me let me cut you off right there because I I like the fact that uh, I'm a piggyback when you said when your brother stepped into your life and and called you out and yeah. saying that's the worst way he's seen you and it was also a transitioning point for yes, you. Yes, it was. I I can relate to that and and I love the fact that you mentioned that because again, as we were talking about in the beginning, there's just something within our community and our camaraderie, especially being a Marine, when another Marine calls you out, the rank structure has nothing to do with it. You just know within yourself when you have a brother talking to you. So uh, again, I do speak highly of you. And and I always bring this up when, when me and Gary speak a lot, because it's rare that I will ever admit that I dropped or I did push-ups for something I did wrong. And I, I do highlight you in that, that aspect because I'm like, man, I was like on the civilian sector, especially even in civilian 
government. And I said, nobody knows what time meetings start. You can get an email and they say the meeting starts at, at 0900 and the director will walk in. Okay, let's, let's give everybody 10 minutes to get in and settle in. And, and you can see all the veterans looking at each other like, no, <laughs> if you said the meeting starts at nine, you better start speaking at nine. They're late. <laughs> so I remember like that day I just came in and I, I put my jacket in the locker and I got everything set. And then I went to the back just to get a printout. And it was, it was very welcoming just to hear the exact words, you're late. And I'm like, no, I've been here for like five minutes. No, you're supposed to be here 15 minutes prior to start pushing. <laughs> so I highlight that. It was very, it was very soothing. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a big brother camaraderie and, and nurturing at the same time. Yeah. It's just like, man, if, if you're going to hold me accountable to that, not only do I need to hold myself accountable to that, if you're going to give me 110% at all times, I'm also going to give you 110% at all times because that's right. what you're expecting. And I remember at times when we were in the office, it was just me and you and, and we had zero, zero guidance. Yep. So with that, you highlighted a bunch of stuff as you transition in your career. Now that you said uh, you did uh, wrestling, modeling, private security, executive security, at what moment in your life were you on cloud nine that you knew you made it? How can I say this? I won't say I made it until I retired. Okay, when I'm on cloud, let me say this. There are chapters in my life that I said, okay, I've, I've achieved this, I've achieved that. I'll say I reached cloud nine when I'm at 100%. And when and I. That's disability, right? Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> and, and when I'm at, when I can say, hey, man, I'm going to retire on this date and I'm out on this time, that's when I'm going to be on cloud nine. That's okay. when I'm going to be on cloud nine because I'm not there yet. I'm never going to be on cloud nine officially until I reach that goal. So you never had a moment that you felt like, oh, well, oh you know you what? Know what? I'm, I, I'm very, very satisfied. I've been on cloud nine uh -huh. when I got married. Okay. Oh, you have to say that right now. <laughs> no, no, well, no. <laughs> she's she's in the back nine, listening. No, cloud nine, no, she's not here. Actually, <laughs> that was a surreal moment because I never thought, yeah. I never mm -hmm. thought. Who's going to marry me? I mean, seriously, who the hell am I? Well, you look like you the know. rock. Come on. Well, please, please. <laughs> you know, but who, who would actually marry me? No, seriously, that was a surreal moment. I mean, I wish I knew you at the time, brother, because you got to understand, like, my brother was there as my best man, and, and my father-in-law, unfortunately, God bless him, he was a Marine also, and right. I wanted him there. But yeah, man, whoever thought I was going to get married? But I'm the kind of person, I'm the kind of Marine, I'm the kind of man that, I'm always, I have moments of, of moments in my life where I can say, yeah, I've done this, I've done that, and I'm happy with this, I'm happy with that. But I, I will always say that cloud nine, there's been moments, of course, having my daughter, that was a cloud nine moment. Cloud nine moment was to see uh, my me and my brothers all together coming to the United States Marine was a cloud nine moment. But, you know, of course, getting married was a cloud nine moment. But the, the ultimate cloud nine moment is when I can retire, hit a hundred percent and be able to hit you up and say, yo brother, sky's the limit. I can, I can come and go as I please and I can call the shots and not have to answer to anyone anymore. And I can just get up the next morning and not punch a clock. <laughs> all right. That's, all right. That's going to be the ultimate cloud nine. Every time when I get up and I go to do something that I have fun with, or I experience something where I'm at peace. Mm -hmm. I dread when I, when it's over because I know I got to go back into dealing with 
the job or dealing with stuff I don't care to deal with because it mentally, mm-hmm. I have to, every day when I get ready to go to work, I have to allow myself two hours to mentally get ready to go in. Why? Because it's a mental thing with me. And it's yeah. part of my therapy. It's it's part of the thing I have to do is I have to mentally get ready to go into work because mm-hmm. I have to mentally prepare myself. Now, don't get me wrong. I love helping people. Part of one of the things I do is I deal with the public. It's an up and down thing. Um, it's, it's a weird thing. As I tell my therapist, I don't mind dealing with the crowds. I, I, I don't mind helping people in a controlled environment. If I'm in a controlled environment, I love helping people that I can help and navigate them to, to get them to where they need to go. It's when I'm in an uncontrolled environment where my guard is up, yep. I'm ready to go to battle, I'm ready to, my, it's called a radar. Right. It's called a, for certain veterans that understand what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. that are listening, they know what I'm talking about. The, my radar is up. So anything can happen, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go to blows. Exactly. So when I'm in a controlled environment, it's a whole different scenario. So I'm in control. I, I know what's going on. I'm putting order to chaos. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So, but when you're dealing with that on a daily, it gets mundane. It gets tiring. After a while, in order for me to get through a couple of days of just doing that, you have to mentally get ready for it. And you have to mentally, and I don't mind doing it, but after a while, it's like, I don't want to do this the rest of the next 10 years. I'm at 50. I'm not going to do this in my 60s. Mm-hmm. And after a point, I, I, I got to get to a point where I'm like, there's got to be a change. Do I want to do something I love. I want to do something that I enjoy. And I know what I enjoy and I know what I love. No, in order true. for me to get there, in order yeah, for me true. to get to my cloud, mm-hmm. I have to get to a point where I have to have my game plan. This is where my Marine Corps tactics kick in makes sense okay makes so now sense. i have i have a i have a game plan my tactic is to get to point a to point b i have to do this that and the other to get to this point to get to my cloud so in makes order sense. for me to get to my cloud i gotta knock out these obstacles just like i did to get to this job i gotta do this to get to my cloud so i'm gonna do what i gotta do but as one of my other fellow marines had talked to me about uh, the gentleman i told you about in la he just told me you put it out there in the atmosphere now you got to start chipping away. It's not going to happen yep. overnight, but you got to chip away from it. You can't take it all at once, chip away. But you put it out there in the atmosphere. Now you just got to make it happen. But it's a strategy. It's putting strategy. out that strategy to get to my cloud. But you know what? Here, right. but here's, the, here's the bigger question that you might want to ask people. What do you want to do when you retire? We always talk about when we separate from the, from the service. But for those people, the older the older generation or the older the older veterans that are ready to retire, what do you want to do once you retire? Because there's got to be a bigger horizon because here you put all this time and effort and given everything you got throughout your life. What do you want to do when you get to your cloud? There are a lot of people that don't, that are not like in my mental state where they have these goals. For me, I've been, you know, acting, I've been doing TV. So I've done TV shows, I've done movies and everything else. But you got a lot of people out there that have never experienced doing those things. You might have some veterans that play instruments that wanted to be in a band, but they never took it on because they let other responsibilities get in their way. So they felt, well, I have responsibilities and that was just a pipe dream, but they never took the chance. Me, I was one of those people that took the chance because I was like, F that man, I'm going to do this and do that. I can juggle both things at once. So 
maybe that's something we should we should ask other fellow veterans. Why not do it now? Why can't you do both? If you could be a civilian and still carry yourself as being a soldier or being a veteran, why not be a veteran and at the same time juggle and pursue what you love and still maintain your nine to five? On that note, let's transition to the closing as we get okay. to the top of the hour. Your transition is zigzag, zigzag, zigzag. But in between, you have a you have a full time job, and then you are hammering on the things you really like. Yes. Same thing with your current current position. You have a full time job, and you double down on entertainment on your your passion right there. What is your advice for someone who is thinking about getting out with no plan like you were back then? And what about for the same group of people that are going through? let's say, the transitioning period without any goals in plan. What would you say to them? Well, the first group, I would say, don't limit yourself to just one thing. Write down ideas of things that you want to do. Even if this is a crazy, it could be the most craziest ideas. Don't limit yourself. Don't limit yourself. If you don't feel it's your time to narrow yourself down, if you want to see the world, see the world. My thing is, don't just limit yourself. In this day and age now, more than ever, if you are in a position where you can say, okay, I want to strategically come up with a plan, come up with a plan, strategically lay out your game plan, lay out what you want to do, look at your resources, look into programs that you may, for veterans that that have no clue of what you want to do, talk to other veterans that may know programs, talk to you might have relatives that have served. Talk to them and see what programs they've done. If you don't know anyone, look online. Do your research. YouTube and, and Google has so many resources. Don't allow yourself to be limited to your resources. That's the most important thing. You have resources out there that are... are by your fingertips. By your fingertips. Yep. Yep. I was limited back in the 90s and all, where you're not. You... You're, the, the sky's their limit. For those people that the other part, the other part was the Struggle. other second part. I don't yeah. want to miss it. What was the mm-hmm. other second part? Yeah, the second part basically for those who are going through right now without a plan, separated, transitioning without uh, a plan, without a plan. For those people that are, don't have a plan, what I suggest is write down things that you write down two lists things that that you feel that take priority, things that you want to do. It could be, like I said, the most craziest things that you want to do. And find a balance where that you can balance out, where you can juggle both, like I did. For me, I was like, I need to have a nine to five, but I also would love to do this. If you have a family, see what you can juggle. If you can't do everything where you can't juggle both, something that you want to do two years from now, but right now your family takes priority. So right now, priority things, put your things in in perspective where you want to make sure things are taken care of first with your family. Okay. Whether it's your kids, your wife, even your mom and dad, if you're still living at home, you're coming back home from serving and you got to take care of your mom and dad because they're elderly. Okay. You take care of those priorities first, but then you take care of you because at the end of the day, who's going to take care of you, but you. So you exactly. make sure that certain things are lined up 
correctly. The stars are aligned for you, but make sure your family's also taken care of. Okay? But then the leisure things come next. After all those things are prioritized, you, your family, then the things that you love to do. But again, you come first, then your family, then the things that you love. No doubt about that delayed gratification. I, I like that. that is so yep. big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I respect that well, a lot. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for sharing your experience. Mm-hmm. You know, no doubt. No doubt. Learning. Yeah. Thank it you was so much a, for having a, me on a show. real zigzag transition from uh, military to bodyguarding to wrestling to modeling <laughs> to, to model. being on TV. On Comic Con. Yeah. Sooner or later, you're going to be on, on, yeah. on Mr. Clean selling uh, cleaning products. <laughs> you're everywhere but it's it's a blessing because even though you are everywhere it's your ladder that you're progressing in in your passion of what you love doing let me tell you something guys never think that you're not a work in progress every day is your work in progress yeah i'm always there's always room for growth for me i'm always learning something every day there you go that that's oh, it right yeah. there mm-hmm all right, folks, thank you so much for listening to this episode. It is a very, very wonderful insight coming from a producer, a wrestler, a comic book junkie. And, and the cannot... entertainment industry. And the industry. Yes, exactly. So I don't have anything else. I was like, do you have anything else? No, that was it. I'm just very grateful and I guess uh, very thankful just, just to hear your transition as you went from your start to where you're at right now and, and the fact that you highlighted your mental health state of mind and also highlighted PTSD. These are things that we need to get out there for other veterans to know because yes. just basically speaking to your brothers and sisters and you airing some of this stuff out, he or she may be able to point you to the right avenue. And the fact that our guest brought that out and he highlighted himself and as he was struggling and what he does to get himself into a smooth groove just to go to work Every single person in this world does that. Most people don't realize it. Some people can't transition their first workload or first case, whatever they're doing. It's like they need a sip of coffee for some odd reason. I myself, I don't have a smooth day unless I do two hours of gym early in the morning. Like that's how my day starts. Other people, everybody has this 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 motion that they need to get done before they start progressing or doing any work. And I just love the fact that you highlight that out because these are things that we need to get out there. So. Eric, thank you so much for airing that out there. And thank you so much for letting us view what's close to your heart and also your struggles and challenges as well. Most definitely. Anytime. Anytime. All right. And with that, fall out.